This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Over the long run, hardship with Jesus is better than treasure in hell. And every one of us make a decision at some point in our life. What matters more to me? Maintaining the comfort zone I built in a temporary passing world or considering it an honor and a privilege to be counted with God, with Christ and his people, even though it might mean sacrifice or suffering? It's a question we must ask ourselves in this day and age. It is a privilege to live in a country that allows freedom of religion. There are many believers that put their life on the line every day to exercise their faith in Jesus. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you were faced with persecution for following Jesus? I mean, real life-threatening persecution. Satan promises a comfortable life here on earth for an eternity spent in hell. In today's message, Pastor Josh will show you that faith in Jesus offers the greatest reward when time on earth has ended. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as he continues his message, Faith Declares Jesus is Better. Jacob, he's frail, he has no strength, but by faith, he thought, man, all hope has been lost, but by faith, I'm going to get up out of my bed. And it says he leaned on his staff and he worshiped as he blessed his grandkids to the very end. You know, it takes faith to proclaim blessing and to serve the Lord and to worship the Lord till the very end, even in your weakest state. And notice these two kids were born in Egypt but he makes room for them in the lineage of Israel. And maybe you're noticing a trend here. I want to just state this as a little bit of a sidetrack. Notice all the switching of firstborns. You notice that? Ishmael was the firstborn, but Isaac was the son of promise. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the son of promise. Manasseh was the firstborn, and when Joseph takes his kids to Jacob to be blessed, he puts them there, And what does Jacob do? He crosses his hands and puts the blessing of the firstborn on Ephraim and not Manasseh. You know, Joseph gets all upset. What are you doing? (laughs) No, son, this is how it has to be. What's up with all that? Do you know Jesus in the New Testament is given this title? That Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. There's a bunch of cults that will tell you, see, The Bible says that Jesus was created. He was the firstborn, the first one that God created, the firstborn of God. No, the whole Old Testament tells us that the firstborn is not about who was born first. It was about who receives the blessing of authority. Jesus was not created. He wasn't the first one created. He was the one who was the firstborn given the authority of God over all creation. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. And finally, we end with Joseph. And Joseph, when he finally comes to the end of his days, he prophesies about the return of the children of Israel, the children of Jacob, to the land of promise. He knew God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, this is going to take place. I might not see it in my lifetime. So he prophesies, when they take you back, when you go back to the land of promise, take my bones with you. Don't let me to be, leave me to be buried in Egypt in a foreign land. I want to be with the people of God. 
And you know what? You know what? We, we know as a historical fact that Joseph, when he died, his tomb was not buried in Egypt. It sat there above the ground for 400 years. And in that time, the Hebrews became slaves to Egypt. They became oppressed by Egypt. A pharaoh came in and started to become a taskmaster and put them under hard labor. And every time a Hebrew would pass by that grave of Joseph, it would be a reminder, one day God is going to deliver us. See, Joseph's faith to say, you're going to go back to that land one day, served as a monument of faith to all those in Egypt, even though many forgot about it, but ultimately that promise was fulfilled. Ultimately, he was returned back to the promised land when God delivered his people. But here's what I want to get at. With all these examples, notice they were all speaking faith into the future. And my encouragement to you would be to never doubt God's goodness for the future simply because of a difficulty in the present. Don't think that just because right now is hard, we don't have hope for the future. There is hope for the future. Do you guys believe that there's a bright hope for the church in the future? I do. I don't care how dark it gets in this world. I don't care how evil it gets in this world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that our best days are in front of us. We might lose our homes. We might lose our resources, but we will never lose what God has given us. Our future is bright, church. And we need more people, and I'm going to say this carefully, because there's a lot of abuse of the gift of prophecy out there, but we need more people prophesying over the future of their children and their grandchildren and the church of Jesus Christ in this nation. We need more people declaring God's truth and God's plan for this future of this church. We cannot doubt his goodness in the future. I've got 10 minutes to do three more points. Okay, let's move. Number three, write it down. Faith, oh, this is important. Okay, faith obeys God above man. Can you write it down? Faith obeys God above man. Look at, now we move to Moses. Now, now we're in Egypt's history, and we're told that a new pharaoh came into power, and they didn't remember Joseph anymore. They didn't remember that whole season of Joseph's life in, in Egypt. So Moses is born, and we read in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. So by the time Moses arrives on the scene, Pharaoh was hell-bent on the destruction of the Jewish people. He looked and saw this people that now were thriving in Egypt. They were prosperous, they were blessed, they were fruitful in everything they did, they were large in number, and Pharaoh said, uh-oh, these people are going to be a threat to us. And so... As history tells us, the people of God, the Jewish people, are constantly hated by nations, constantly, Satan's constantly trying to eradicate them. And so Pharaoh says, I want all the male-born children, listen, the male-born children of Israel put to death. He calls all the midwives and says, when those babies are coming out, I want a partial birth abortion right there. I want them dead. I want them killed. And thank God that the Hebrew midwives feared God more than men, and so they refused to do this on certain occasions. But it was an evil time. And here, Moses' parents, it says, they saw that Moses was a beautiful child, and they hid him for three months 
from the king who wants to kill them. Now, when it says beautiful child, it's not like they were saying, but he's just so cute, we can't let him die. Okay, that's not what it means. The word beautiful means favored. In other words, they looked at Moses and they said, God has a plan. God has a plan for this life. And it's a beautiful plan. And it has to be protected against those who want to take the life of this child. I find it interesting that historically, right before God is going to do something amazing in the midst of godless suppression, Satan's strategy has always been to kill the babies. Pharaoh recognizes that God's people are being blessed. And so what's his decision? Have the government kill the babies. Jesus, born to Mary, a savior for God's people and to the world. When Herod hears about this coming Messiah and his kingdom is threatened, what is the strategy Satan employs through the government? Kill the babies. Two years and under, just kill them all. I am not a prophet, but personally, one of the things that excites me about this step in the right direction of our decision as a nation in Roe versus Wade might very well be a mighty move of God's hand preparing the church in this nation for spiritual deliverance. Because God's saying, we're not going to kill the babies. We're not going to let this happen. And, and of course, it's still happening. We realize there's deception is higher than ever before, but the church has an opportunity here because God is raising up deliverers. But notice the quality of faith that Moses' parents had in the face of their very lives being threatened. This is important. These words, why did they hide Moses for three months? Which, if you've ever raised children, I don't even know how that's possible, right? How do you keep a three-month child quiet for three months? I don't know. But they found a way. Why? Because it says they were not afraid of the king's command. Someone needs to put this into their heart. I fear, and please, I don't mean no offense, but I'm just, I'm responding to what I observed today. I would fear that if most of today's church was back then, that babies would have just been killed and slaughtered under the guise of Romans 13. Submit to the government. The Bible says submit to the government. We just need to, oh, is it bad? Oh, it's bad. It's evil. Oh, that's, that's really bad. But we need to put our heads down, stay quiet, and just submit. Just trust God. He's going to work it all out. And that is one of the most cowardly arguments I think I've ever heard that people use as an excuse to not stand up for what is true, right, and good in the sight of God. Does the Bible call us to submit to the governing authorities? Absolutely does. In fact, two times in the New Testament, we're called as Christians to submit to the authorities that God has put in place over us. That is civic authorities in our nation, in our government, in how laws are operated that govern our society. We are to submit to our governing authorities. We are not to be rebel rousers simply because we like to shake our fists in the seat or in the, in the face of all authority. That's evil. Some of you need to recognize that and curb that desire just to be a, well, I'm just going to stand here when they tell me to move just because I don't want to move and I'm, I'm going I'm to show them, you know. Don't have that attitude. However, but here's what most people don't realize. Every biblical call to submission 
also has its biblical limits. Let me say that again. All biblical submission has its biblical limits. True or false, wives are called to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. I'm not convinced you guys, is that hard to say, some of you? Is that hard to speak out? It's true. It's true. The Bible's very clear. God designed an order. Wives are to submit to their husbands. But I want to tell you one thing. Sapphira should have never submitted to Ananias when he came up with a plan to lie to the Holy Spirit and to the church about their proceeds. She ended up dead. I'm just submitting to my husband. No, your husband's in sin. You don't submit to a husband who's in sin or to the sinful things he asks you to do. Why? Because there's an authority that trumps your husband. It's the authority of God. Church members are biblically called to submit to their elders and pastors of the church. You know that? Spiritually speaking, doctrinally speaking, supposed to willingly submit to the instruction and the encouragement of pastors and shepherds that are called to lead the church. But if the shepherd and the pastor is walking in sin or calling you to an, a path that dishonors the Lord, you put a boundary up real quick if there's sin involved. Yes, Christians are called to submit to the governing authorities. And whenever the governing authorities are creating laws that are in line with what God says is good, right, and true, we are to not fight against them simply because we don't prefer them or to create problems simply because it's not our preference. We are to submit as unto the Lord, realizing that God has put certain people in power in order to give us a just society. But when a government starts to legislate things that are outside of their boundary of authority, the church is not called to submit they are called to submit first to God. In fact, what we need more of today is a church that is the conscience of the state, not the doormat of the state. Amen. A church that, like John the Baptist, would look at Herod and say, this is what the truth is, and you need to submit to God. Christians are not called to submit to a government that calls them to do anything, anything outside of what God's authority establishes as right and good. We saw this precedent in Acts chapter 5 as the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council of that day. They were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. And we read, and when they had brought them and set them before the council, the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And sadly, I've heard people take this passage and say, well, yeah, Josh, sure. If they tell us to stop preaching Jesus or believing in Jesus, then we'll kick back against the government. That's not the standard. That's the circumstance. It's not the standard. The standard is we will obey God over man every time, regardless of what the circumstance is. That's the standard. Whether it's they tell us you can't preach Jesus, we will continue to preach Jesus. Or they mock our biblical worldview, we will continue to carry a strong conviction about the biblical world. They mock our righteous stands, they mock our righteous practices, we will continue to practice righteousness and stand for truth. And that is the standard that is set. And when it is, notice that the people whose authority are threatened are all of a sudden very angry about it. So we are to submit to God. And that leads me to my fourth point, is that faith identifies with Christ despite the cost. And this is quick here, but faith identifies with Christ despite the cost. 
There will come a point for every Christian. If you are truly following Jesus, there will come a point in your walk with Christ when you are confronted with the decision. Will I choose to follow Christ or will I choose the easy path of the world? Many of us have not felt that tension because we have become accustomed to the comforts of this world, especially living in this country. But the Bible is clear in 2 Timothy 3 that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And this is what Moses experienced in verse 24. We read by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By the time you remember that event where Moses, he's out walking and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating up a Hebrew and he goes and he kills him. He didn't act correctly, but his zeal was this. At that point in time, he knew where he came from. He knew who he was. And he had made a decision in his heart. I have the luxuries of Egypt at my fingertips. I live in the palaces. I walk with security. I'm protected by the state, so to speak. I have it all. I have wealth. I have comfort. Yet when I look at God's people, who are my people, suffering persecution and being treated poorly and oppressed, I would rather identify with them and lose everything I have in Egypt. Here are the three categories that we find, and I'll just sum them up quickly. The three categories that Moses saw by faith is that he said, it's better to have affliction with God's people than the passing pleasures of sin. And by the way, you know it that the pleasures of sin are passing, right? They don't last. They don't fulfill their promises to you for fulfillment and pleasure. And they simply give you a high and then they let you down. They're passing. Notice he said the reproach of Christ is greater than the treasures of Egypt or the treasures of the world. And the reward of the invisible God is greater than the wrath of a visible king. And in all of these things, Moses was keeping his eyes on the people of God and the promise of God and the things that he could not see. We could say it like this. Somehow Moses was able to see through the vanity of Egyptian culture and the foolishness of Egyptian idolatry. And he removed that curtain, so to speak, and exposed the lack of substance that the world had to offer. You see, Moses knew in the long run that he was better off suffering for God than savoring Egypt. And you guys, Satan, likewise, offers us instant gratification. But over the long run, hardship with Jesus is better than treasure in hell. And every one of us make a decision at some point in our life. What matters more to me? Maintaining the comfort zone I built in a temporary passing world or considering it an honor and a privilege to be counted with God, with Christ and his people, even though it might mean sacrifice or suffering. It's a question we must ask ourselves in this day and age. I'll close with this. Number five, faith trusts in God's salvation. Faith trusts in God's salvation. Verse 28 ends, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, 
whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Here we find two accounts of God's supernatural deliverance of his people in Egypt through faith. Moses, now on the other side of Pharaoh, in Egypt to deliver the people of God from Pharaoh, has watched plagues decimate Egypt because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart. He would not heed God. He would not obey God. He would not soften his heart to listen to God. And so God brought the judgment down. And finally, there was one last judgment. The angel of death would pass through Egypt and every firstborn would be removed and taken. The only hope of salvation, God commanded that the blood of a sacrificial lamb be painted on the doorposts of every Hebrew home. And anyone inside that home covered by that blood, the angel of death would pass over them. Hence the name Passover. And God's salvation would be realized by all those who, by faith, trusted in the blood of the lamb in the refuge of God's safety. And of course, the beauty of this is that 2,000 years later, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul said, Jesus has become our Passover. You see, Jesus is the blood of the Lamb, and when his blood and his sacrifice is sprinkled over the doorposts of any human heart, death and judgment pass over that person, and they enter into life. But you must trust in God's salvation. You must enter into the door You must come through the door, which is Jesus. You must accept the sacrifice of his blood for your sins. You must trust that he received the judgment on your behalf, and you must come into the shelter and the safety of Christ, or else you will be left out there alone to suffer God's rightful judgment for your sin when Jesus has made the way. Then he shows us in the second act of deliverance, The people are now free, but they're under the tyrannical pursuit of the Egyptian army. Before them is an immovable obstacle, the sea. Behind them is a pursuing enemy, the armies of Egypt, and they are in a place of fear. And it takes faith for Moses to say, watch, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, and to take his little staff and to put it over that water, trusting that God's going to do something. And God opened that sea, but then it took faith for the people to walk through it believing that they would come through unscathed. And so they walked one step of faith at a time through the trial. And the Bible says that when the Egyptians came through, they had everything. They had the horses, they had the chariots, they had the weaponry, they had the numbers, but what they didn't have was God on their side. And so they invented the dead man's float and God just took them all out. He just took care of it. Which is where the psalm comes from. Some trust in chariots, some in horses but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And so we see these examples of faith. That in order to experience God's deliverance, both in this life and the next, you have to put your faith in the salvation of God, in the blood of his lamb, in his ability to save. And if you haven't, I'm done. But if you haven't, can I plead with you today to consider Christ, to consider your need to be reconciled to God, that your sin has kept you far from him, but he draws you near, he draws you back. He says, trust, put your faith in me. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God and your love of the people of this world. 
If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're pressing in.